the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, good afternoon to you. Hope you're having a good weekend. It's a little tease of spring. And, uh... (laughs) Man, it was nice to go fishing last week and not be cold. And looks like we can get a little chance to get in some more warm weather. And it's going to be up and down. You know, South Carolina weather. Hang on for a couple hours. It'll change. Um, except when it gets summer. Then it's just hot and muggy. But, uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Taylor is uh, AWOL this week for a uh, pretty good reason. I'm not going to give her too much grief about it. Sometimes her schedule and mine don't sync and... This is one of those weeks. In fact, she's actually will not be able to go to Seawe with me. Um, chemistry t- exam. Yep. It's uh, and she hates it. Trust me. <laughs> Gosh, it just because there's certain things that just during the year we just do together. And uh, but it's senior year. Grades are important, and I don't mind doing this. And but I'm I am going to miss her at Seawe, and she'll be back with us next week. I think. It, we got it all planned out for next week. This week uh, got thrown a curveball, and uh, with that curveball came a Facebook message from Brad Brown with the South Carolina Forestry Commission. Want to know if I had time to talk about prescribed burns, uh, controlled fires, and uh, seeing that March is historically here in South Carolina proclaimed by the governor as prescribed fire month. And I said, yes, Brad, <laughs> let's do it. So uh, we're going to talk to Brad. Bramlett with the South Carolina Forestry Commission in the latter part of this show, and it'll be good. It's a prescribed fire. It's beneficial for a host of reasons, and we'll get into all of that, but hang on, because that's going to be a good one. Uh, deer hunters, we made uh, Fox News this year. More bucks harvested in 2021 deer season in the past 21 years. This is by Michael Holland, published January 31st. Uh, people are real, really into deer hunting. Yeah, he's right. And with COVID lockdowns and all, people are more and more involved in the outdoors, and it's been a great thing. Uh, it says, according to a recent report, the 2021 deer season was the best season for deer hunters across the United States in a decade. The news comes that some states are starting to report slightly lower deer harvest for the most recent season. Uh, Americans harvested an estimated 6.3 million deer last year, according to a report from the National Deer Association. This would make it the best season since 2011. The estimated buck harvest is the highest in 21 years. Uh, Kip Adams, who's the chief conservation officer for the NDA, said 2020 saw the highest buck harvest in the new century, and amazingly, we estimate that we set another new record for the percentage of those bucks that were three and a half years old or older. He continued, U.S. hunters are taking fewer yearling bucks and killing more of them as mature deer. But this doesn't mean fewer bucks harvested overall. We're killing older bucks and more bucks than ever in America. And uh, it goes on to talk about Missouri Department of Conservation. And this will be interesting to see. Um, 
I see, I don't think there's any more that I need to mention here. Oh, according to a news release from, well, that's Missouri. So I guess they get a lot of this information in Missouri. But this will be interesting to see in the next month or so when we have Charles Ruth. He should have the Deer Harvest Report usually done in March. I'm trying to remember when he releases that. But we're, we're going to have him on with the upcoming turkey season. We'll have to kind of put that back and ask him if that's what we're seeing in South Carolina. Uh, also, from the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, they have tagged and released an additional 16 coyotes as part of the incentive programs for hunters. Um, there is, this will make how many years? When was the first year? 2016? Doesn't give me, I believe 2016 was the first year. So 16 times 5. That's 50, yeah, probably 16 was the first year that they had the the, the tag and release program to incentivize uh, more hunters to take more coyotes. Um, and if, uh, so the reward, it was originally supposed to be a bounty, but there's been so many problems with bounties, they, they, they decided the, the reward for shooting a tag coyote is a free lifetime hunting license. Uh, yeah, here it is. The release is part of the DNR's Coyote Harvest Incentive Program, which was created in 2016 by the General Assembly. Uh, annually, they trap, tag, and release 16 coyotes, four per game zone. So that's game zone one, two, and three, and four. According to the DNR, the person reporting the tag coyote can designate anyone for the lifetime license, such as a child, relative, or friend, or himself. Uh, so a total of 96 coyotes have been tagged and released during the past five years. About half of those have been reported taken. Um, let's see here now. Yeah, I mean, if you shoot one, you'll know it. Just be careful. There are, and these have ear tags in them. Uh, if you shoot one with a collar, a neck collar and, and specific tags uh, from Clemson University, that's a separate deer study they're doing in McCormick County, and I understand some of those coyotes have kind of migrated out of McCormick County and the surrounding counties, and I think one got killed in Abbeville. Um, so if you'll know. You'll know the ear tags as opposed to the collar and the separate tags for the Clemson study. Uh, I've got, I'm going to run through the calendar events here in the next three minutes, two minutes, uh, brought to you by Capital City Lake Murray Country. And uh, we can start out with an oyster roast, February 27th. Uh, Magnolia Plantation and Gardens. It's uh, hosted by Keeper of the Wild. It's the annual oyster roast and silent auction from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Uh, they have single selects, chili, and hot dogs, along with beverages and desserts. Uh, tickets to adults 50 and 7 to 12, 25, 6 and under are free, and tickets are already on sale. Meet the, uh, in conjunction with the Bassmaster Classic coming to Lake Hartwell and Greenville, uh, you're going to have a couple opportunities to mingle. Uh, the first one is at Brushy, Brushy Creek Baptist Church in Taylor's on February 28th at 6.30. It's Meet the Pros of the Bassmaster Series. Uh, they're going to have Q&A, testimonies, and giveaways. Uh, you're going to have Brandon Card, Scott Martin, Buddy Gross, David Williams, Nick LeBron, Blake Smith, and my buddy Ronnie Moore from Bassmaster Live is going to be here. So more information, get a hold of Brushy Creek Baptist Church. And uh, and make this part of your classic experience. On the flip side, the n Tuesday, March the first, 
Strike King and Lose is going to have a Bring the Classic Pro Night to Anderson, South Carolina, where avid fans and anglers um, here for the 22 Classic can go to the Anderson Civic Center at 6 o'clock on Tuesday, March 1st. Fans there will uh, be able to listen to and meet Hank Parker. And he is the you know, retired pro and host of the Hank Parker's Outdoor um, Outdoor Magazines. Let's see. First competitor to win the Grand Slam of Bass Fishing, which includes a bass qualifying event, the Classic and Bass Angler of the Year title, and the Super Bass Tournament. He's a nice guy. He always gives Taylor the boy talk when we see him, which is fun. Uh, along with uh, Hank, you're going to have Mark Zona is going to be there. Uh, host of TV's Zona's Awesome Fishing Show and part of the Bass Live crew. Uh, Lose Pro David Fritz, who's known for, no, was that Mark Davis? Gosh, Brandon Cobb told me that one of them fishes, whichever one of them, and I think it's David Fritz, might be right, fishes all his crankbaits on braid, which is bizarre, but. He said, if you ever look at the front of the boat, and I can't remember now which one it is. Uh, you also, uh, Dollar Bill Lowen's gonna be there. Yeah, when, when he walks across the stage and Dollar Bill Lowen. So anyway, it's a free event and hope you'll take advantage of that too. Let's see. And then if you want to go over the dark side, the 2022 Fly Fishing Film Tour is coming to Charleston Monday, March the 14th, 7.30 p.m. The Charleston Music Hall. Tickets are 20 bucks. Doors open at 6.30, and uh, you can get them online, and that's always a fun one to go to. Hadn't been in a while, but it was always a fun show. Just some amazing camera work and fly fishing. So with that, hang on. We're going to talk to Brad Bramlett about control burns, and uh, just remember, fire's your friend. Or Woods and Water, South Carolina, on the other side of the break. Wish the the <clears throat> wish the words came up a little faster on this one because of what we're going to talk about today. But uh, it is bad company. It's uh, no smoke without a fire, and providentially, and, and a lot of you that have schedules that just get thrown into a blender from week to week know what that's like. You're sitting there, your head spinning, like, "What am I going to do this week?" And out of nowhere, a text lands, our message lands on Facebook. It's from a good friend, and he's like, hey, we need to talk about X. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is, you can't script any better than that. And and this week's uh, savior is Brad Bramlett. He's with the Sacramento Forestry Commission. Brad, we've done this before. Uh, it's been yep. a while, but welcome back to yes. Woods and Water, South Carolina. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, gosh, there's, there's, there's just, I mean, springtime is so busy. It's it so much to get out there and do. The fishing gets better and stuff like that. But, but man, habitat managers, foresters, uh, landowners who have trees planted, this is the time of the year when fire is your friend. It is. It surely is. <laughs> and and you were out mm-hmm. burning this morning. 
I was. I certainly was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, advantage of the great weather. Absolutely, you get a little dry spell, which is you know when you're trying to burn outside. You know sometimes it's wet is good when you're burning those big trash piles and all. I like to have a little a little dreary day where I have to have a little diesel fuel to help things along. Uh, but when you're burning out in the open woods or across uh, you know pastures and stuff like that, you got to have that weather in consideration. I, and today was a good day to burn. It was. It certainly was. Um, take just a minute for those who haven't. And, and I look back. I think we did this after the Pinnacle Mountain Fire. And it, we did. And, and, and Brad, we talked about it. Maybe a couple of years, a few years. That fire was November, December of 2016. It was. So it was it, the fall of 2016. Yeah. So we talked probably in 17. So it's been more than a few years, Brad. <laughs> Time flies. <laughs> it does. It absolutely does. But uh, we'll just take just a moment and, and introduce yourself, and, and then we'll get rolling on this prescribed fire thing. Okay, sure. Well, my name is Brad Brown. I'm the Assistant Regional Forester with the South Carolina Forestry Commission. And so with the Forestry Commission, uh, our regions are, are split. The state's split into three regions. So the Piedmont region is the basically the, up, the third part, the third of the upstate of South Carolina. Okay. I've been with the state for 30 years and uh, work outdoors. I love working out, outside. And um, when you and I spoke last time, yeah, yeah you mentioned the uh, Pinnacle Mountain Fire. That was the uh, costliest, largest upstate mountain fire in South yeah. Carolina. I think three, three million, thirty-one million, or three million dollars. I forget what y'all spent on that. It was thing. over five million dollars. Okay, yeah, uh, just a little over ten thousand acres. Yeah, and that started from campfire. It started from an escape campfire. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Not an intentional. That's just one of those oopsies that just kind of. It wasn't. It wasn't intentional. Yeah. Somebody, you know, had a, had uh, trying to campfire, and it just got away from them. Yeah. And there again, the the all the ingredients were there for a fire, and up in that up in that area, that's a hard fire to fight. It was. Yep. And if you all, if you remember. The fall of 2016, we were extremely dry, dry. had a lot of drought conditions. Yes. The, it was just the right recipe for a really bad wildfire. And I, and I remember in, the, in, in all the reporting and stuff like that, you know, you were trying to, even though you were trying to fight that fire and get that thing out of you were aware of, okay, if we cut fire breaks here, we're going to have washing and stuff like that. So at the same time you're trying to get that fire done, you're trying to protect the environment as much as you could while you were trying to control the fire. We did, and as a matter of fact, as the fire was moving from west to east, it was going toward Table Rock State Park, which is, you know, one of the more uh, popular state parks in South Carolina. Oh, yeah. We thought we could cut it off before it actually got to the rock, but we just realized, you know, we couldn't. So what we ended up doing was fighting fire with fire. We realized it was going toward um, an area where it had some homes. Right. We made the decision to actually put in brakes and actually set fire and do a backfire and burn right. out over like a thousand acres. Yep. And and it comes back. That's the beauty about fire. That's what a lot of people, you know, I have a good friend who's married uh, to a, his wife is from California. And, mm-hmm. oh, man, you mentioned fire around her, and she just, it, it's deer in the headlights like the oh, oh, fire. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but, but and, and it's totally different environment here to California. It is. Totally different yeah. fire, dangerous, stuff like that. But here in the southeast, Fire is good. It is. It is. The benefits are almost immeasurable. Whether you're, you're right. a timber management guy, whether you're a wildlife enthusiast, um, 
or whatever. And and you know, hey, we got to admit, burning stuff is fun. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as long as you do it right under the right conditions. As long as you do it right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talked the other day. March is historically uh, controlled burn month here in South Carolina. You're, I understand you're waiting on Governor McMaster to give that back to you and make it official again this year. Yes, we are. It has it, gone back. Uh, several governors past have 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 um, announced as March as prescribed fire awareness month. And basically, what that does is just shows the importance of what prescribed fire does, what it means, and we anticipate it will be done again for this coming March. Cool. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you always start off with pre- uh, pronouns. I think the pronouns, when, where, how, why, all that stuff. Um, you know, we talk about when, now this time of the year. What's, uh, I guess you're looking for specific weather, when. I mean, when you're talking about when, Wind and weather. Talk just a moment about what you're looking for as far as the environment around you when you're having a control burn. Okay, sure. Well, if you think about it, Roger, um, prescribed fire has been around for uh, thousands of years. The Native Americans actually did prescribed burning here in North America. Even when the settlers got here, they used it. It was a great tool. Um, the Native Native Americans used it for various things, and then the settlers saw it, and they said, okay, well, that's something that we can use. It, it mimicked what would happen with lightning storms would hit. It would burn, you know, sometimes days or maybe even weeks. Sure. Um, but what we used it as uh, foresters and fire managers, we would normally use it coming up into February, March, um, sometimes maybe even in January. But you would do it um, sometimes, usually a few days after rain. You want to have a little bit of soil moisture in there. You don't want to burn all the way down to the ground. You want to burn off that top duff layer. Uh, so usually sometimes a few days after rain. Okay. Um, and the reason we call it prescribed fire or sometimes controlled fire is you're doing it under prescribed conditions. You want to have the wind correct, the humidity, the temperature right. So you're doing it under just the right conditions to where you want this fire to do just what you want it to do. Not just – you have a wildfire that burns uncontrolled, but right. this fire is doing it under the right conditions, and we're managing Speaking of management and managing that fire, fire breaks. Sure. Yep. So that, you, you make a good point. We don't just go out there and strike a match and let it just go <laughs> anywhere. Um, what we do is – if you go back to the fire triangle, um, you got fuel, moisture. So when that fire goes out there, you got to have a way to stop it. Sure. So we go out there and we use like a bulldozer, a way to go out there and plow down to the mineral soil to the ground. And then when the fire gets up to it, it goes out. Um, when we go in and start the fire, we start in the downwind side of where the smokes, the wind's coming from. Right. We set the fire. And let it back off a ways, usually about 20, 30 feet. And then that sets off enough of a what we call like a buffer area. And then we can go in interior of that and then start setting in uh, spot fires or head fires. You know, which is exactly what we did here. The first time we burned here, you know, our forester shows up with a couple of drip torches, well, more than a couple of drip torches and all his equipment and all. And mostly, of course, it was fun. I enjoyed doing it. I ran the drip torch all day long. He ran around the four-wheeler kind of management. But he, that's right. exactly what he did. He he told me, he said, you want to go in about 10 feet off your fire break on the downwind side, 
He said, mm-hmm. you walk the entire length of that fire break and let it burn to the fire break. And he was, you know, we watched that line very carefully to make sure nothing yep. burned. And, and setting it downwind, that fire would creep into the wind, but it really came out of that fire line pretty quick. And as soon as it was out, he said, all right, all right, go in about 30 yards and give me another line. And from there right. on out, you really weren't worried about it jumping that fire break. That first one you do is what you call your baseline. And once you get that one set, or your black line, then you, then you've got a good, uh, place to start. And then you feel court, you feel comfortable that you can widen it up and get further up into the woods and start making it a little bit wider. That's exactly right. Um, well, we talked about fire breaks. So we've got a couple of minutes. Talk about some of the other tools. In about two minutes, give us some of the other tools you're going to use when you're doing control burns. All right, well, first of all, you mentioned your drip torch. Uh, you use your drip torch, and the mixture you use is usually two-thirds diesel and one-third gas. That mixture goes through, and it makes when the, that fuel comes out. It's not really a gel. It's just enough that it's not flammable. Okay. Uh, you're going to have, um, uh, we mentioned a, a dozer. Um, we use um, something that's called a Numex. It's a it's a very burn-resistant type clothing. Okay. Um, if you're a landowner, you, you may or may not use that, but you want to use something at least that's cotton. Okay. You want to use 100% cotton. Not That's something that's not going to catch on fire. Huh. Um, yeah, cotton. Don't use polyester then. Yeah, you do not because <laughs> polyester would actually catch on fire and it would burn to your skin, and then when you pull it off, your skin's going to come off with it. Ouch. Yes. So uh, actually cotton, and sometimes when I burn with my Nomex, I would use uh, 100% cotton up under my Nomex okay. material. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in place of a bulldozer, you can. I mean, we use, I've got a uh, uh, six-foot cultivator on the back you know, yep. of a tractor, it, and that makes a really yep. nice fire break. It does. It does. Uh, we have landowners that use, um, like a, you're right, some kind of cultivator that can yep. till it up. You could go in with uh, an ATV that's got some kind of skid unit with a pump that you can go in and put in a wet line. Okay. E- any way that you can get down to the um, to ground and either remove that flammable leaves, uh, pine straw, or put in some kind of a wet line, one okay. or the other. I got you. Um, when y'all burn in it, we got about 30 seconds here. I mean, when you burn in Richland County, you're burning, I think, 50 acres. You told me, how many guys do you have on scene? We usually have one or two dozers, and then we're going to have three or four personnel there okay. with us. Mm-hmm. More than merry, because really, control burn, it is kind of a social event. It's kind well, of it is. <laughs> it is, and it, you want to have a few people carrying the torches through the woods, and then you also want to have people around the perimeter watching for spots that are going right. to jump out across the line. Absolutely. Well, we got a good start to it, Brad. Let's keep it going. Everybody hang on. We're going to be back after the break. More Woods and Water, South Carolina, and Control Burn with Brad Bramlett from the South Carolina Forestry Commission. Oh, nothing better than spring in the south. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Brad, I, I hate to say this, but I'm almost, like, done with winter. 
<laughs> and I, I, I'm ready for spring now. As long as spring could be March, April, May, and part of mm-hmm. June. You know, if we get three good months of spring, I'll be happy. Well, you know, it almost felt like it today a little bit. It did. It did. And, and you know, I, I don't, of course, you don't know. This time of the year, you can get sunburn and frostbite in the same day. So you know, it, it kind of teases you. Though. It you know, does. It feels a little bit warm, and then you know you know there's going to be another cold snap. <laughs> my just just real quick, my brother has been up in Minnesota. Uh, his his uh, congratulations. He's a granddaddy for the second time. Um, okay. But you know wow. it, it was you know most of the time it was nighttime lows were below zero, and, oh, wow. and daytimes you know six to seven to eight degrees and. And he said the other day when he pointed it south and it got to 20 degrees, he said, man, it's nice. He said, and then he called me back the other day and he said, it's, it's 40 something degrees here in Kentucky. I said, well, don't show up here in flip flops and shorts. He said, no, but the, the, uh, the chamois shirt he had on might have to come off. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but yes, yeah, I'll tease you with the weather. Um, it does. Talking about, you know, your duties here with, in the South Carolina, you know, you've been doing it a long time. And I know every year you post up on social media, you're headed somewhere. And I think I saw you head to Oregon this year, and I forget where else you went. Talk about when you go off, and you go, you're going off to essentially do your job that you do here in South Carolina elsewhere to help people with their wildfires. Talk about where you've been this year already. Okay, so, yes, this uh, past year I did two uh, out-of-state assignments. Um, one I went to Oregon, and one I went to California. And those were all on uh, helping them with the fires they had going on? That's right. So the uh, first one was um, the bootleg fire in Oregon, and at that time it was the largest fire in the country. And then, um, unfortunately, um, when I went down to the Dixie fire, it turned out to be the largest fire in the the country, and that was in um, California. You know, take a minute. What, What is so different about California? Well, it's one thing is their climate is so different out there. So you think about the South and how we have so much humidity here. Right. You, you know how it's just sometimes you go outside and it feels like you're getting hit with a wet. Blanket. Oh yeah, you took another bath. Well, out there it's um, it's it's so dry. In fact, they're um, they actually have when those fires get so big. They would have what they call an incident meteorologist assigned to the wildfire, and he would stay there full time. Okay. Um, and so in the morning at their briefings, they would talk about what they call percent chance of ignition. Okay. Which means um, when the wildfires would occur, and you know they would have the wildfire inside the perimeter of the fire breaks that they put in. Uh huh. But they would say if a if an ember flew out of the fire and landed. Most of the time, they would say if that ember landed outside of the fire break, it would be a 100% chance of ignition, which over here in the east, if if an ember blew out, just like if you sat around a a campfire and you saw an ember land, most of the time it would go out. It wouldn't do anything. Yeah, it goes out as it's rising. It's usually 75 to 100% chance of ignition because it's so dry. Yeah, and then you got those Pacific winds. You got the Santa Ana winds right. and the other winds that they have out there that are just so um, strong that that those strong winds coupled with the very low humidity is just it's a it's just it's very hard to for them to contain. Wow. 
Wow, that's uh, yeah. You, you see those pictures on the on the news at night and all. And it's I can't imagine what it's like on the ground where you are. But um, you know, um, yeah. I guess they just do it for so long, and they've just been doing it for so many years that you know it's just, it's it's just become a culture of um, firefighting out there for them. And, and you hate to say that, but I, they just they get used to it. Yeah, it's a job. It's a it job. Is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a job. Well, I think we, I think at the first day we pretty much covered the when and the how. Uh, where, you know, where, where are you going to do control burns here in South Carolina? Well, that's, that's a good question, Roger. So, um, we do them for landowners with the Forestry Commission and a landowner could do it for themselves. Most of the, what we, what is burned is in pine, hard, or in pines. Okay. You can do them in hardwoods. Um, usually you want to make sure the pines are, um, 14, 15 years old, just because pines have developed a thicker um, bark system okay. versus your hardwood. Some hardwoods, you, they can do burning. Um, and the reason you're doing people, a lot of people just don't understand, well, why do you do burning? It just doesn't make sense. Well, okay. the reason we're burning is, my, my number one reason is, is hazard reduction. What what people have to think about is you got to think of pine needles, leaves, and those twigs sure. as fuel. Yeah. Oh yeah. We call that as fuel, and what we're doing is we're reducing the fuel to greatly reduce the chance of a wildfire. So if you think you go out there and you walk in your woods and it's one, two, three inches thick of that what we call that duff layer of or those needles, pine straw, and we go in there and do a prescribed burn, well, then you come back down, and instead of it being three inches, now it's only a quarter inch. Right. Well, then if a a wildfire does occur in there, either it's going to go all the way out or it's going to burn extremely slow. So we've greatly reduced the chance of a wildfire coming in through there. Well, also you can reduce hardwoods. So if you got a pine stand and you got a lot of sweet gum right. and maple and other undesirable hardwoods in there, um, you can reduce those. Now, oaks, um, thankfully, have a very strong um, root system. Okay. They can withstand a lot of fire, whereas sweet gum and maple can't. So it actually does favor oaks. Okay. And then the other great thing is it does um, improve wildlife habitat. So you can go out there like for instance, I told you today we burned down in Lower Richmond County. Right. I can go back out in that same stand in three or four weeks, and there'll be all these nice green succulent um, shoots starting to come up. And deer and turkey, turkey especially, love those areas. Sure. Um, they've done they've done studies. I was at a workshop one time to where they had radio collar telemetry on turkeys. And right after they done a burn, that very same day, turkeys went back in there, and they think that um, over time that the turkeys know that after a burn, there's going to be a lot of um, insects in there. They immediately go in there to try to get those insects. Sure, and that's that's right after the burn. It is you start getting that green up a little bit, and that becomes a prime bugging area for for your ground nests, your turkeys, your quail mm-hmm. here in South Carolina. Yep. And of course, deer love nice. Tender green brows. They do. So it's a benefit at all. And we, we talked, we've touched on it just a little bit. <clears throat> you know, when you burn that stuff, it that's a nutrient that's going back in the soil. It does. And it, it does. And it's you're not losing anything. You're you're gaining by burning. You're actually gaining 
essentially fertilizer. <laughs> yeah, so you're doing some nutrient recycling. Yeah. That does go back into the soil, so you're putting some of that back in for the trees and those other plants that are coming in and in that ecosystem right there around your trees. That's exactly right. Let's flip side. We get we got about two minutes left in the segment, two and a half minutes. Um, we talk about fuel loads. You know, we talked about having three inches. That's a that's a fuel load. And no trouble. No trouble with carrying a fire. On the other end of things, though, talk about you know not having the fuel load. I mean, you might not be able to burn because you don't have a fuel load to carry that fire. Yeah, so if you've, um, if you've say, thinned a stand, if you've um, got, so if you planted some trees and you do your first thinning at, say, 14, 15 years old, okay. most of the time we say wait two to three years after you thin because you want to have, you want to have enough needles to drop down on the ground to carry that fire. You you do want to have enough fuel down there because if not, it's not going to get a good burn through there. Right, yeah. You waste your time. And yeah, then, you'll be walking all day long. Oh. And you want well, and you want to have enough good fire around the stem of those little sweet gums and right. apples and other stuff in there just to get a good um, top kill on those on yeah. those trees. Uh, Got about a minute. What's the, you know, when they talk about when you do control burns, the crown of the tree getting to 125 degrees. Is that a is that true? I mean, the, depending on well, time of the year or, or what is that? It does, and, and a lot of it has to do with how open the stand is. So okay. if you've got a really closed canopy stand, in other words, if the so the first time the um this the, you go in and burn a stand, if the trees haven't been thinned, you do want to burn them a little bit cooler. Okay, because you want the stand to be. You want that heat to get up through the canopy of the trees. Not get trapped. That's right. Okay. So, so I, I, I'd like to burn a stand that hasn't been thinned cooler. Okay. I got you. Yeah. That makes sense. And it, it's amazing. You know, you can hack and squirt sweet gums to your heart's content, but when you go mm-hmm. through and run a run a, a control burn through a stand of pine trees, it gets them all. <laughs> it does. It, it's an amazing thing. And then... And, and like I, like we said, you know, it's not going to waste. That's going to rot. It's going to fall back on the ground. It's going to be fuel it for is. your next burn. And yep. uh, and the process is just continuous, continually resetting itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it keeps y'all in business. Keeps landowners like me happy because we get to burn every once in a while. And you know, everybody's happy. So, all right, let's do it all. Let's uh, take a break. Come back, and uh, Brad will we'll carry on another segment as long as we got time and stuff to talk about. So. Sounds good. More Woods and Water South Carolina on the other side of the break. <clears throat> this one's always got an awkward opening. It's a good one. Hang on. There you go, the opening of the Caddyshack. That's the movie. Oh, yeah. That's the movie entrance to it because you got the little. Uh oh. Oh man, it's not a groundhog. What is it? What? What's the gopher? Or, yeah, the uh, gopher. There you go. Yeah, 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 the Caddyshack gopher in there. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good one. Um, oh, that's a great movie. <laughs> that's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make movies like that anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> oh me. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate everybody tuning in today. We've been talking about control burns, um, you know, 
when you want to do them, how you want to do them, where you want to do them, some of the benefits to the wildlife, to to your value of your trees, you know, to, to get rid of some of the woody competition you may have in your wildfires. Speaking of the woody competition, it, you know, we talked about how a wild uh, control burn will go through and it'll it'll kill off all the sweet gums and stuff like that. But during the break, we were talking, and you said, you know, it'll top kill them, but you still got some stump regrowth. Talk about that for just a second, and then I want to go into how often you want to do a control burn because that'll affect the resurgence of your sweet gums and that sort of thing. So it's all kind of interconnected. But talk about the sweet gum trees a little bit more. Yeah, sure. So um, when you do a control burn, it will, most of the time, as you all well know, sweet gums are very prolific. And just as a... um, in case you're ever out on a trivia, sweet gum is the number one. It's the most common um, hardwood in South Carolina. So oh, there's your little tidbit for tonight. There you go. Out, uh, <laughs> trivia night somewhere. But, yeah, it's a very prolific, prolific tree. Um, but, yeah, when you burn it, uh, most of the time it will – basically what you're doing is you're top killing, and it okay. will come back uh, the next year. Um, so you usually will want to do a set up on a two to three year rotation. Okay. And that's going to depend on what, how your budget's looking. Okay. You know, you can go out three or four years, something like that. But, and the more, the more rotations you do, you will knock it back. Okay. It, it, it's not going to be as prolific as the more rotations that you do. Okay. I got you. Yeah. You know, sweet gums. I have a little story here on sweet gums. I, back when, um, when York County and the Department of Natural Resources bought the Draper property yeah. up in mm-hmm. Bratonsville, mm-hmm. at that time, uh, Three Rivers Chapter of Quail Unlimited, which I was a member of here in Chester, I think it was Chester, York, and Lancaster County, I think it was Three Rivers. Um, we we did a lot of work over there. And, and right after they bought that area, the National Quail Unlimited conference was in Charlotte. And we were doing bus tours of Draper. And at that time, we had a, a drum chopper going down there. And, you know, they were putting oh, yeah. roads in and, and mm-hmm. just kind of reclaiming that property back to where it was wildlife friendly and all. And um, so we were going through on a bus tour. And I was kind of telling people what was going on and all. And I said, and you know, and the drum chopper is is, is a great tool with invasive trees and and, you know, opening up wildlife habitat and all that and there was a couple sitting just front row in front of me in the bus as i was trying facing everybody and uh i noticed they kind of looked at each other and and as i went on and i could tell and the lady finally she kind of raised her hand she goes excuse me we're from kansas what's an invasive tree <laughs> and i was like stop the bus i got off the bus i grabbed a sweet gum leaf it was springtime i grabbed a sweet gum leaf and a sweet gum ball and i came back handed to her i said Introducing you to the sweet gum tree. It is the most invasive tree here in South Carolina. Oh my gosh! And yeah. that just rolled on the floor. I mean, we're from Kansas. What's <laughs> an invasive tree? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. Welcome to sweet gums. Um, oh yes. But they are, and they they just pop up everywhere. They do. Um, but you can burn them. You can hack and squirt them. You can control them. It takes some effort. Um, it does. And uh, well, I've hacked and burned around, uh, hacked and squirted around here. It's a very effective tool. Very it effective. Um, I think I might have had my mixture a little bit too strong and squirted too much because around each sweet gum tree, I had like a two foot area where the grass wasn't growing. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I did them and I did them well. <laughs> um, get down to the end here. 
Oh, and the other thing we yeah. talked about, too, yeah. Roger, was um, timing of the year. You know, yes. dormant versus growing season. Yes. So yep. right now we're coming out of the of the dormant season. So um, you can do some in December and January. A lot of times those are wet times of the year, but you, you can do some burning in there. And that okay. would be considered dormant season as okay. long as – uh, the, you know, the sap's not flowing in the trees. That's okay. considered dormant. Okay. You start getting into the growing season when the sap starts um, rising in the trees. I did a burn in Union County one year, and um, the sweet gums had, had started growing. Okay. Uh, the leaves had sprouted out. Roger, uh, we had a very low-intensity burn. I'm like, I didn't think it had done much of anything. But what happens is when those trees – are very vulnerable then, you don't have to have a, a much intensity burn at all. Wow. We really hammered those sweet gums. <laughs> I went back um, about a month or so later and checked on them, yeah. and um, we really put a hurting on those sweet gums. You know, I guess I guess what you have to balance is, between dormant and growing season, is your wildlife concerns. I mean, you don't want to go out there and burn when your turkeys are already on the ground nesting or, you know, something like that. So I'm, I'm sure when you talk to a forester or consult with whoever – that's one of those questions y'all gonna have to work out when you're oh, planning yeah. these things. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about. Oh, oh, that's right. We were t- we were talking because Michael Hook's been on here talking about the wildlife focal areas. Yeah. And when you and I were talking, you you mentioned that hey, I sit on a committee then on some of these focal areas. I'm like, well, this is great. I can get your opinion. So talk just a minute about these focal areas and what y'all are seeing with your control burns and the wildlife. Yes, yeah, so the Indian Creek Initiative is a focal area in Newberry County, and um, it's a basically a multidiscipline um, committee. It's got several state, um, federal groups, nonprofit okay. groups that are on there, and we have basically seen with this these groups coming together and working that the bobwhite quail has really come is really starting to. Um, be seen more and heard more in this focal area on the, um, I guess that's up the part of the Sumter there. Right, yes, some part of Sumter. And, that, and it's a collaboration between not only national forests but private landowners. It is, yeah. And, yeah, and they're seen not only, you're right, not only on the national forest, but we have, when, especially when it first started, a lot of the private landowners there, at one time there were federal funding for them to do some uh, different car share uh, practices. Okay. But when the funding went away, they were still kept on doing some of the work. Okay. And, yeah, they're definitely hearing some of the quail in those areas. And that's just that's one of those benefits. Quail need those open bugging areas. They need mm-hmm. afterwards. They need that, that low ground cover that comes up in those areas. That, because, you know, between you and I and everybody else that's listening, uh, a pine forest is a, is a pretty desolate landscape when it comes to wildlife. Left to its own, you know. Right. You you got to get rid of that duff we've been talking about. Let sunlight get to that floor and let that natural seed bed or whatever, whatever inventory is there, come up, and it benefits those wildlife. And and we've done it here. I've actually got two coveys of wild quail back, which is just astounding because I grew up quail hunting. We didn't have deer. We grew up bird hunting, you know, and the quail and your turkey or something. Um. Hand-in-hand hand with that, in Newberry County, there is a fire trailer. There is. And they, they actually were able to get some funds through that initiative to buy a, uh, a prescribed burn trailer. 
um, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, NRCS, and the Soil Water Conservation District oversee it. Um, contact them. It's They've got drip torches. They've got um, rakes. All of it's there, self-contained. You can just pull it out there. So it's it's something, and the other thing is, yeah. my understanding, it has not really been utilized that much. So it would be great for the landowners to be able to utilize that. You know, if you've got good, if you've got good fire breaks, and you've got the equipment, you, you know, this, then this is from a landowner standpoint. Is is a control burn something you really got to worry about, or is it something when you do it right, you should feel comfortable doing it? Well, and that's the thing. I know some. Uh, I know some landowners are a little bit, little bit apprehensive about it. And th- there are some things that they could either do it themselves. Now, another service, you know, you could either hire the forestry commission to do it or a consulting forester. The other thing they could do is they could, um, if they want to do it themselves, they could actually hire us to come do standby, and we'll bring, they could get a dozer out there to be on standby while they do the burn. So there's actually three different things they could do. Do it on their own, have somebody do it for them, or just call y'all and have it on standby. That's right. And basically what that means is they'll do the burn, and our dozer would be there on standby just in case something happens. Okay. And it kind of gives them sort of like a safety net. Sure, sure. Because it can get away. I mean, you know, whether whether you're, you know, one of my first, experiences with fire getting out was a uh, late in january and i lit off just a, a trash pile and out of nowhere the wind picked up and and it started out across some some uh old buckwheat and and sorghum rows that i'd planted and it traveled very fast so it is you have to be careful another thing they can do yeah. to make them feel a little bit more comfortable is um a few times of the year our agency has what we call a, it's a certified prescribed fire manager course that we teach in Columbia. It has, tells them about burning. Now, one thing in South Carolina, anytime you do a prescribed burn, yes. you have to call it into our dispatch yes. center. They'll do a notification. Yep. They'll go in. You talk about smokes in Severia, your tonnage, right. the whole nine yards. So you can't, again, you can't just go out there and burn. There's right. a process that they have to go through. And, and that is different from notifying the county you live in that you're going to burn a trash pile. It is. It's two totally, totally different. different things. Yes. 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 Um, if you're burning like yard debris or trash pile, each county has its own 1-800 number just for that. But right. when you're doing um, forestry, wildlife, or agricultural burn, there's a 1-800 number that you call and talk to a live person to get notification to do that. That's totally separate. That's that's correct. Uh, I've uh, I've run afoul of that once. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has been great, Brad. We're almost out of time. If somebody wants to contact Forestry Commission, who do they who do they call and who do they want to talk to? The, what I would say, Roger, Roger, the best thing I would have them do is if they can go to our website, okay, um, S cfc.gov there's a place on there where they can look and buy any of the counties and find out who their local contact person is okay cool well brad this has been great i really appreciate you doing it on short notice no problem uh, always good to talk to you my friend absolutely and we'll uh we'll do this again another time sure until then folks y'all have a good weekend the rest of the weekend make time to get out there take the back roads when you can don't forget that camera. See you back here next week. Maybe Taylor will be back. More Woods and Water, South Carolina.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.